because if you're not creating and, and doing things from a place of core central beliefs, it won't have an impact on you. It's like not even about what you're putting out into the world and how people receive it. If you do something today and you've completely forgotten it by tomorrow, was there a point to doing it? It's kind of how I see things. I want everything I do to place its mark on my soul because it was important. If I have to do some of the unimportant things in between because of the job or whatever else, so be it. But I want to do enough things that matter to me. So I feel like I'm using my time as best as possible. And that's probably the best way to describe how I choose what I do every day. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. We continue with part two of our conversation with Casey Palmer. Casey is a blogger, father, project manager, podcaster, and owner of the brand Casey Palmer Canadian Dad. The brand aims to empower fathers around the world through storytelling and sharing his unique journey in fatherhood. His brand has risen to become one of the most influential places to find fatherhood content in the great white north. In this week's episode, Casey shares many engaging stories and some of his favorite dadism, such as life is the sum of your experiences, so make sure your experiences count. Casey was born and raised in Canada and currently resides in Toronto, one of the most diverse cities in the world. He describes Canadian culture as mosaic, which leads to a unique conversation around learning through different perspectives. He also explains his process for balancing creativity and productivity, as well as the importance of traveling and living in alignment with your values. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Discover More with us and Casey Palmer. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. And then in my 20s, it was more kind of like rebelling against that and trying to like just be my own person and find my own space. And in my 30s, I really started to merge all that together. Like I understand the value and worth of being a black man in Canada and being a black dad in a space where there are no other black dads for the most part in Canada talking about it. So I understand the value of that, but I also understand the value of have my own individuality and the scope of that and finding a way to merge those together in order to best express myself. And I, in all honesty, I don't think I excelled at that until, you know, the events after George Floyd. And I found myself growing up really quickly in the last year after that, where I, like, you know, I accepted being a black man for the, my 30s, but it was always kind of downplayed like i do black history month series but i don't feel like i was showing up as black consistently throughout the year i was just kind of like yeah you can see it you accept it like it's implied don't worry about it but then after that i had i got really intentional about like talking about things that you know bothered me or things i'd experienced and whatnot and i think the community rallied behind it and it's made me a better storyteller and creator for it because i'm willing to come to the table bringing all of me and not just some of me so yeah, it's been an interesting journey 
through blackness through you know my life so far and i think it will be just far more intentional about it in the years to come it's super interesting that almost like the darkness of the george floyd incident allowed you to or enabled you to reorient yourself around your identity or ask those bigger questions that's something that we talk a lot about is that like the most painful times often reveal the most purposeful times or that we can take the biggest lessons away from our biggest adversities biggest struggles which it sounds like you have with that kind of shift of things to come back to what you pointed out as your parents perception a little bit of trying to break through the chains of like what was possible and almost in a funny way, what you're doing now is like the ultimate chain breaker in terms of like so many different things and so many different lenses. Whereas like one bucket or one box of Harvard Medical School is like a singular box. You know what I mean? Whereas like this is a wider range. And that's what I'm super curious about is how you think about whether it's identity, profession, career, but like from what I'm observing of our society, whether that's American culture, North American culture, or the world itself, we like to put people and things into boxes so we can like, not to say label them and then put that in a specific area, but I just feel like there's a lot of like boxing around people, concepts, etc. How you think about that multifaceted element of identity, because you clearly fit into so many different boxes as a black mm-hmm. father, as a creator. We haven't even talked about your project management side, but that's a whole nother, like, <laughs> a whole nother tech side of your identity. But you clearly yeah. have several different amazing inner working elements that seem so opposite but how do you think about Mm -hmm. identity and the balance and harmony of all of those different elements the way i think of it in my head which i think everyone should apply at some point in their lives is to burn the boxes down uh it's just it's not useful right it's not useful at all to keep yourself under one definition so the book i'm working on right now so i got a book deal in uh late september and so the book i'm working on on black fatherhood revolves around it started off as being kind of like a memoir type thing of like here's my experience as a black dad here's what i've learned etc but what it started becoming as i talked to more black fathers and understanding all these different situations is that even within the label of black father is a massive amount of diversity you have you know all these different dads whether it's in same-sex couples polyamorous dads single dads widowed dads married dads dads in interracial relationships etc there's so much diversity within the simple phrase of black father that we gloss over when we think of the word black father in mass media or whatnot and the book i'm trying to write now is to really do justice and honor to that entire idea of the fact that black fatherhood isn't just this one thing. It's a myriad of experiences and whatnot. And trying to put all that into a singular box really washes out all of those characteristics that make each individual family experience what it is. And so when I think of the boxes, like I'm pretty serious when I say you have to burn all the boxes down because no two people are alike with which check boxes they tick off in the various areas of their lives. And we need to start seeing each other as individuals and seeing those things that we did want to box people into before as strengths that add to our character instead of things to just categorize ourselves by. So it's helped a lot being in Toronto, which is highly multicultural, in that I can go to, you know, my lesbian friend who is Syrian, but did theater and now works in law. Like, these are all things where I'm like, okay, if I have a question about like one or two of those things that come together, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to that friend because they've had experiences in like A and B but it's more based upon the 
experiences that make us who we are than what I think they're supposed to be because they hit a certain demographic. One thing I tell my kids often, like I feel like all dads have catchphrases that their kids get woefully annoyed by. And the more they hear it as a kid, the more annoying it gets until you get to a point later on in your life. And you're like, oh, that's what it meant. (laughs) So I tell them often that life is the sum of your experiences. So make sure your experiences count. And I think that, you know, if we judge each other based on the experiences we have and who they make us as people, we'll have a far more understanding society that all the other stuff, you know, the the boxes we put ourselves into, they might guide us down certain paths and they may inform certain choices, but they don't define us. It's those experiences that define who we are and what we take from them to define, you know, the, the lives that we choose to lead because of them. And that's what I try to instill in people the more the longer I'm on this earth, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, amazing because you and I, we've chatted this even before this podcast was a thing that one of many attributing factors to the current prevalent polarity that's going on in the American context is identity politics. And on a political level, like obviously we're not here to talk politics or anything, but on a political level, I'm definitely more liberal, but I also share a lot of centrist beliefs. And But I also find a lot of the conservative ideologies very valid also. So because like I'm a, in a way, I don't really fit into a lot of demographics that we talked about because I'm an Asian American. I served in the military. I like guns, but I also have a lot of conservative values, right? So if you were to label me through identity politics, I don't fit. Doesn't matter how you slice it. And Mm -hmm. I think the reason why identity politics is very problematic, as you've alluded to, is once you label someone as X, Y, and Z, you're diminishing all the nuances and the characteristics and experiences that comprise of who they are. So mm-hmm. other way, the more constructive way is creating a experience politics, but jokes on them because it's not possible. You can't do that because no two people share the same experience like you've alluded to. So I do think it is a very important conversations, whether it's political or not, because everything's political. There's no such thing as a politics, right? Everything is interwoven into this society's whether you're allergic to politics or not. That's a fact. So I do really appreciate you sharing that. And on that token, I would love for you to uh, zoom out on a more macro level uh, from Casey the man into Casey the Canadian and talks about some of the uniqueness to Canadian culture because I didn't know anything about Canada except it's mm-hmm. it's vast. <laughs> people, are, people are nice and uh, Putin's are, um, they're, they're very tasty. But you told me a lot about off the mic, but for you to maybe be more intentional about that and just to explain what Canadian culture is and what that means to you to establish a little context. And because like we, we've we always been friendly with our neighbors, Canadians, but we don't know too much about that. And I do think context matters a lot. And as a content creator, I'm sure you uh, agree that without context, there's no content. Yep. Oh, I like that. Um Canadian culture is a hot mess. Okay, let's 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 break this down. All right. So the one thing that I have to say as Canadians, I won't say we envy it, but we recognize about America 
is that when people move to America from various parts of the world, you become an American. You guys have the patriotism game on lock. You have, you know, these overarching <laughs> themes of like what an American is. And even though that gets polarized at times and fragmented into other things, you have a general idea of like, this is what it means to be American. That's not American. That is American, yada, yada, yada. Canada doesn't have that to the same degree. <laughs> when, when you come up to Canada, what often happens actually is that you retain a lot of the culture from wherever you're from and it's the entire idea of the melting pot versus the mosaic america the melting pot versus canada the mosaic where you have communities based around all these different cultural identities uh, for better and for worse that come together to live in a common space and so when we think of a lot of the canadian tropes let's call it between niceness between you know whether it's like lumberjack jackets uh you know hunting in the middle of the woods and stuff like that a lot of it comes from settler times right from you know generations and generations of people who are here since the founding of the country in 1867 um and then that's its own problematic thing with our indigenous community because they've been here a lot longer and we haven't treated them very well but yeah there's a lot of things that are canadian culture is seen as this like old entity of just kind of like this is the way it's always been but then you have our major cities of Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and Ottawa and Calgary who are just kind of like work completely differently. And so here in Toronto, so let's macro to micro. Macro Canada is 75% white, 5% indigenous, 20% people of color. You go into Toronto, Toronto's 50% people of color. And it's just like a very different view of how the world works. And what's interesting is that when you talk to a lot of people from Canada, more often than not, I'd say probably 90% of the time, they're from a major city. And so when they tell you what their view of Canada is, they're telling you the view of their city, which doesn't reflect the rest of Canada. And so like when people from Toronto tell me, oh, well, Canada is this, and this is it's like, these are all the entire principles and ideologies in which Canada operates, I'm like, and that sounds like Toronto, because one of the other things that is a huge difference between America and Canada is that in America, because you have 340 million people, it's very easy to go on a plane with a driver's license and fly to other parts of your country. Whereas Canada, we're like, it's wildly prohibitive to fly to other parts of the country because it takes so long and costs so much. We are 40 million people. To fly from Toronto to the west coast of the country is a five-hour flight and nine hundred dollars each way. <laughs> it is it is not cool. Like it's it's you people do not visit most of the country because it's always been so much cheaper to go down for a week of all inclusive in Cuba, the Dominican Republic, than it is to go see almost anywhere else in the country if you can't drive there within like six hours or so. So Canada, Canadian culture gets very segmented very quickly depending on which major city you're close to. Um, I've been you know, going back to what I'm trying to provide for my kids, I'd be very privileged to see much of the country so far just because my parents could never afford it or have the time to do it, whereas I do. And we also do a lot of camping and things like that. So I want to show them different aspects of what Canadian culture looks like. And I feel like it's more, if we were to really break down Canadian culture, it's uh, rural and small town versus urban. It's really the only thing that is a true divide of our country because urban urban metropolises in, in the States. And I kind of feel like we're a light version of that for our urban side of things. Toronto's always been related to New York, Vancouver, and more to Seattle. Um, and so you have a view on things is just a little 
little cleaner, a little nicer maybe, but still very similar ideologies of it. I had a huge debate back and forth with some people from Alberta the other day on how they see Toronto as just basically another America, just Canadian. And I, and I don't have that view. Being in Toronto, I can see the differences, but to people who are outside of our urban centers, uh, we seem a lot more alike than we seem different. So Canadian culture is a very, very interesting thing because it matters so much, so much on where you live in the country and how you interpret what happens in our country because of it. But I wouldn't live anywhere else because, um, yes, it's awesome. And we have so many different cultures, like even in my neighborhood, I'm on the east side of Toronto. Um, we have Ethiopian, Japanese, Korean, French, and Sudanese cultural centers, like all within like a 10 minute walk from where I live. So you get access to so many different kinds of things around you, but you also get the benefit of having a ton of poutine, as you said, because poutine <laughs> is amazing. It's a it's a cultural, it's a Canadian cultural phenomenon, and uh, I miss it every time I'm gone from the country for too long. Thank you. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The analogy you gave at the beginning between mosaic and melting pot, I just think so beautifully illustrates the differences and the similarities and like how differences can still shine through on their own. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about specifically related to groupthink of like how you could bring together people from all over the world and stick them in the same room and still they'll end up like thinking kind of similarly, or at least in my experience, I've found a lot of like commonalities of thinking, which the melting pot analogy that you gave, I think speaks to. So I guess would be a speculation, I guess, but as a Canadian who's lived in this mosaic, as you've described for so long, what elements of culture do you think allows for that mosaic, for that shared humanity, but still valuing the own perspectives? Because I think that's a big part of what we try and embody with Discover More is really engaging and learning through different perspectives and not becoming a melting pot of ideas, you know, like really zoning in on the differences, valuing the perspectives. But I think hearing about like maybe what values come to light in maintaining a mosaic culture, I think would be very valuable in shaping conversation and action going forward. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I think we really benefit from being in the Toronto area is that you get so many different people from so many different countries, walks of life, cultures, etc. Toronto is often touted as perhaps the most multicultural city in the world. And so if we look at the, I think about 200 countries that are in the world, I think we are on the last census, we are short of like five of them when it comes down to representation. So you get a lot of information about what it's like to be different kinds of people firsthand rather than having to like read it in a book or see it on in, like on a TV show or things like that. So if I wanted to find out, you know, what it's like to be from Canberra, Australia, I could probably find something, someone pretty like between one or two degrees of separation who's from there and can tell me about it. Um, so groupthink happens. We do still have majorities and you still have people who stick to their own communities. And so that um, will always you know, have its pros and cons when it comes down to how people think and operate. But as we, you know, move through the generations and more and more kids are born here instead of immigrating here, they become more used to the fact that they will be surrounded by all sorts of different kinds of people and learn to operate in a space where you can't just make assumptions. You can't just assume someone thinks this because they belong to this group or this demographic. And as raisin in the milk type thing, being a black kid surrounded by non-black people, 
uh, had to really get used to the idea that you know no one else is going to have my experience. So let's kind of figure out what it looks like when I understand all the different perspectives and how it all comes together. And it's funny, the really funny part of it for me is that it's very clear that I'm a Canadian of Jamaican heritage and my wife is a Canadian of Dutch heritage because our parents both come from Jamaica and the Netherlands. Whereas when I think about what culture looks like for my kids, it becomes so diluted by their generation that I'm just like, is is your culture East Torontonian? Like what what is your culture? I don't know. But there's a beautiful thing to that as well. Whereas, you know, if you base your culture around where you live and that area is surrounded by so many different kinds of people across numerous kinds of diversity, like race, uh, ability, religion, etc. you'll hopefully from that develop a far richer experience of what you expect of the world as you try to navigate your way through it because you've been exposed to so many different things that you might not have if you were in a very homogeneous type setting. I think that's what I've learned so far from being in this very, very multi-everything space. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this uh, on a, a different episode recently that the, I have some qualms with the analogy of melting pot in the United States because if you know how melting pot works, all ingredients get stirred up and they eventually become mm-hmm. melted into one, become this morphed new entity. And usually how melting pot works is the most dominant ingredient usually shines through, become the default of that morphed entity. In the United States, until now, the demographics of minorities are growing uh, incrementally, consistently for the past decade or so. But as of now, Caucasian or whiteness is still the dominant flavor or ingredient in the Mm -hmm. United States. So I do think your approach of honoring and acknowledging and embracing each ingredient for what they are is definitely a more productive, but also a more humane approach, I believe. So when you looked at your identity, since I think through your micro examples and your macro example of Canada as a whole, and I know you view Canada more as like a wild west of culture, where you guys are maybe four decades removed from the United States because the immigration process for Canada is a lot more recent than the United States Mm -hmm. has. In terms of you instilling the importance of culture, when you're instilling the importance of individuality, I'm not talking about individualistic, but individuality of each flavor. How do you do that with your kids? Because like you talked about, right? Like the zooming into what you talked about is interesting how you're going to view your kids as their culture. Like is there a culture East Torontonian culture or are they 0.5 Jamaican culture? Like what are they, right? So I don't, I don't know if this might be an open-ended question and might be a loaded question at that since I'm sure you're still figuring that out as we speak. But how would you approach that in terms of what sort of ingredients or approach uh, you want to instill for your kids because they are in a very different generations as we both are mm-hmm. yeah um part of it there's the ideal of what i want to do and there's reality and the the reality is that in many cases they're too young to care you know <laughs> they they will see their when they talk about their friends they talk about their friends as people with names they don't rely on you know any physical characteristics or anything like that. Like, you know, this kid is that is, you know, there's an Xavier, there's an Orly, there's a, you know, Maxwell, they're all people. Um, the, the things that make them different don't matter to them right now, which is awesome. But kids have lots of questions. And what I 
will do with them, which I find that perhaps even parents who are even like five, 10 years farther along in the process than I am, uh, may have chosen not to do, is very honestly answer every question they send me. So if they ask me about like, oh, why is this person interested in that? Why did that person look like that? Why does it smell like this? Why is this? I'll be like, oh, it's this or this. And I'll try and break it down in a way that's age appropriate, but very honest all the time. And it's not always easy. Like there's things that are really hard to explain, especially when it comes around inequality and and you know prejudices and things like that. But I will never deal them away from knowledge and truth. I think that they need to be armed with as much knowledge as possible to find their own way in the world when they're ready for it. I've always tried to, I haven't said this in a long time, but one of the things that I really tried to instill early on as a dad was involving the kids in my life instead of bending my life to theirs. So I always wanted to be able to do the things I want to do, check out places I want to go to and bring them along with me. So if it meant I had to go to a restaurant and pay for another adult meal to split between them because they don't do kids meals, it would be like that. Or if it meant that I had to go on a road trip somewhere and it's slightly more inconvenience because I had to put two kids in kids seats and pack snacks and put like kids music on the radio and all that kind of stuff so be it but you shouldn't stop exploring and living and trying to put different kinds of experiences into your life just because you become a parent and i feel that through osmosis the kids learn that as well because now they're exposed to things that they you know don't have the agency and the ability to go seek out on their own they are fully reliant on what i give them for the most part when it comes down to what frames their lives and i think you know, we oftentimes as parents, we rely on the school to do that for us, to do that job of like teach them all the things they need to know. But school only does so much. There's only so much you're going to learn from any educational system. You need to have life experiences that help further inform uh, what is going to shape your life. And so I have gone from trying to do that for them to that is just what we do. We go out and do all sorts of stuff. If I'm out on a you know, camping trip or whatever, and we're all there and there's something I want to go do. I'm like, tomorrow at this time, daddy's doing this. You guys want to come, come. You don't want to come, don't come. And more often than not, they do come because they've learned that I'm the more adventurous parent. So they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they tend to go by the beat of uh, whatever I'm doing because they're like, daddy's going to do something cool. So let's follow this guy. So yeah, yeah, I try, I basically, it's, it's through my very existence and the way I lead my life that I want the kids to, you know, learn from what they see happen and, you know, define their interests based on actual experiences rather than things they think they're supposed to like and not like. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Almost implementing experiences as a whole, almost as a core value. Uh, something that I've come upon in my time traveling since graduation was experiences, not things, right? Just putting mm -hmm. all of my time resources, whether that's money or time or whatever, but towards experiences, not things, because they ultimately shape us, allow us to think in new ways. And kind of on this token, you're a great storyteller. I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences. Are there any experiences that really shaped your life over the past few years? You mentioned Kilimanjaro on the questionnaire. Maybe you want to go that way, but any other excursions and or experiences that really change the way that you see the world or come out as a fond memory that's a story worth telling? 
That's a lengthy answer. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying if you go to caseypalmer.com slash travel, you see a full <laughs> list of everywhere I've traveled to over the years because there's a lot. I'd be very fortunate to travel in many, many places. But mm-hmm. I, I tend to take something away every single time I go on a trip. So 2012 was when we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and uh, it was a life-changing experience to, to climb a mountain and to go on safari. Like we went on a, a kind of, let's call it a animal and cultural safari. So we actually got to go and talk to some of the Maasai tribes and understand their way of life and things like that. I remember going to a school and these kids were perplexed because they couldn't understand how I was a Canadian visitor, but I was black. Like to them, they're just kind of like, what, how? And I had to, I explained to them, okay, well, 400 years ago, a bunch of us from the West Coast of Africa were taken on ships over here, and then this all happened, and then my parents went over here, and now I'm here. And, like, the entire concept of slavery was completely unknown to them, and it really, like, shone a light on the entire idea of we put a massive emphasis on slavery in the in the Black experience for North America, and over there, they're just kind of like, oh, that happened? Too bad, so sad. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay, that blew my mind. And then, you know, you, you've just gleaned different things from different trips. Like, you know, back in 05 in Barcelona, I almost got arrested for the police confusing me as a North African migrant because they usually go in without papers and everything. And then when I bust out my Canadian passport, they were overjoyed. I was like, oh, he's Canadian. This is amazing. You're like, yeah. And I'd really like to see it again. So please let me go back to my hostel. Like, and like I've been to like trips to Detroit and Cincinnati, for example, really depressed me because um, what I often find in American cities is that I usually see, you know, if I go to a fast food place or I go to anywhere paying minimum wage, I see a lot of black and brown faces working there versus like, you know, other jobs held by white faces that more like, you know, affluent places. And so I glean a lot from wherever I go and whatever I do. And as I start taking the kids with me on things, you know, it's kind of like I have one frame of mind. It's like, okay, what's, what are we getting out of this family experience? And sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's going out to the East coast of Canada over to the Atlantic ocean where the, the tides are great. And so we played on this beach for hours, the low tide once the water was way out towards the ocean and the kids had a blast playing in like all the sand and mud and just like you know goofing off because they knew that they could walk for ages away from the beach and it would only go up to their waist and sometimes you'll you know go to somewhere else and someone like another black person called me the n-word when i was in chicago just for like you know diving out of his way was he's barreling down the street and every every experience has something to learn from it and i've just been so fortunate that i've had so many of them so far with many many more to come we both love traveling. I'm, I'm minimalistic by heart and through practice. And I definitely allocate my resources and my time and money through traveling and food, the piece of experience more so than any other areas in my life. And it's just how mm-hmm. I am. Uh, that's how I was born with. I didn't really cultivate this personality. I just don't really care about cars and stuff because I'm, I'm very happy about that because cars are a very expensive hobby that I mm-hmm. don't want to have. So... I had this conversation since I just came back from Mexico from a week trip. I was unplugged from most. And I was talking to my friend, uh, my best friend, Jake. He's, uh, as we called it, he's the perfect Aryan race. Blue hair, blonde eyes, 6'2", great built, very white. But he came on the trip and this was his first time flying internationally. This was his first time going to Mexico. 
it was a very cool trip for him and it's very eye-opening and he's very open-minded which is why uh, we are very close uh, but we were just talking about the idea of traveling right because a lot of people view traveling as an agency of to escape from their reality and i think that's okay because i used to i guess judge people who whether use music festivals or use traveling as an agency of escapism i used to look down upon that or i used to assign my own value judgments and i said oh that's not as good because you shouldn't be escaping from reality but then as i've matured through seasonings of life i understand everything has its own purpose everything has its own place and whether as long as it's servicing you in some aspects of your life i think it's very valid right and i think this is a reason why it's important for us to honor individual experiences uh, but the way i like to view traveling is not as escapism at least to my personal life but that we travel so that we can appreciate life better. Because this is an analogy of Aiden's that he came up with for the retreat weekend where he views life as a port of window. And it's everyone has a limited size of windows. Even if you live in a mansion and a castle, you still have a limited frames of windows. And the only way and the best, the most effective way to navigate life, we believe, is expanding your portals of windows. And the only way to expand that is to combine other lenses of avenues, other lenses of experience, so that it, it truly, on a fundamental level, widens your horizon, widens your scope of understanding. And I think, to me at least, traveling is one of the most effective avenues to achieve that change, achieve that experiences. So, uh, and on the same time, although you, you talked about jokingly that you're the mo more adventurous parents of the two, and your kids like to hop on the journey with you because they understand it's better to travel than not, I suppose, because we are all planting seeds for the future, whether you're planting seeds in your family tree or you're planting seeds in your friends, because we are ultimately co-creating our narratives, whether you, you want it or not. And that's a fact, right? Like, because like we don't know what we don't know. And we just don't know how the seeds going to blossom in your kids and your kids could randomly click when they're twenties or thirties that, Oh, that trip when I was eight years old, I went with my dad and here's the unforeseen implications that happen because of that and that's what the reason why we like to open and we like to approach everything to an open and curious mindset because through curiosity you're not going to negate or overlook any experiences because we don't know what we don't know and those could truly blossom in the future so i really appreciate the way you value traveling and i'm sure that's going to be very evident in your life and the way your kids grow up in the future so yeah hopefully it does take a lot of resources, so <laughs> fingers crossed. For sure. Yeah, one of the ideas that come up for me that I've referenced recently that your story speaks to is how travel or novelty creates creativity, routine and structure creates productivity. So I guess on both sides of the coin, when you go out and do these travel trips, I'm curious around the relationship that this novelty and experiencing new things, seeing new perspectives have on your creative process. And then equally so, how you balance that with the productivity side of coming back, having all these new inspired ideas, writing things. As we've discussed the last couple of hours, you do clearly a lot of different things, have your hands in a lot of buckets. I'm sure there's got to be some efficiency concerns or efficiency decisions based on what you do. So kind of I'm fascinated by the relationship of productivity and creativity that you have going on because there's both are clearly so evident. So I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, well, what I said earlier was that I celebrate the small wins every day. A lot of that has to be intentionally choosing which small wins you're going to go after. 
to see, you know, what it is that you can accomplish in that given day. So <laughs> to be completely frank, I probably get 20 to 30 new emails per day, per weekday when it comes down to the brand. And so I have to pick and choose what works and what doesn't, what serves the blog, what doesn't. And a lot of it is I'll take a look at what other immediate demands there are of my life and then decide what I can fill in, you know, between the cracks and everything. And it's a lot of push and pull. It's a tug of war between the multiple sides of my life all the time. I always say I have three jobs, the job of being a family man, my day job as a project manager, and my night job as being this dad brand guy. And the three of them are always competing against each other for, you know, which one is going to take up my time. I will say I always prioritize father and husband because, you know, regardless of whatever else happens in my life, those are lifelong vocations. So I can't take them for granted. Uh, But as the kids get older, it gets a little easier to start allocating time elsewhere. So I try not to be the guy who is constantly distracted by like something shiny, like, you know, that that dog and up goes squirrel. (laughs) I try not to be that guy because, you know, it's really easy to get distracted by something cool or interesting, but you can't put your current set of obligations to the wayside just because something else seems shinier. That said, I ask most of my clients to give me a lot of grace because my days can change on a fly. I could have a kid who's gone out and scraped his leg up doing something ridiculous and I have to deal with that instead of dealing with other things. I Life doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop turning and life doesn't stop going on at your convenience. So a lot of it is be having the flexibility to choose every day. What are the things that are going to fill your time? Because you never know what is going to be on your plate. And then if I can get things working there well enough and I can build in capacity to do something that I want to do for myself, then I will do that. Yeah, very well said, Casey. And I just want to read something that you told us in the questionnaire that I think is very, very pertinent to what you just shared is the necessity of fluidity and the necessity of flexibility. Because I think the world's, most of the world's views is so rigid. When it's too rigid, it doesn't leave room for the wiggle room. But as we know, the dualistic nature of life, when something's too hard, it's more prone to break, right? So you do have to be flexible. It's a non-negotiable. So in the question you shared with us, you said that being able to pursue my interests despite a world that I that thinks I should just settle as a parent and shelve my ambitions in the name of fatherhood. It allows you to constantly work at your legacy while making sure your family never wants to do anything or needs anything, right? Mm-hmm. And that once again talks about the potential rigidity of what a parent is perceived as and the flexibility of your own interest to pursue your passions and your interests. Your answer and your story both allude to the importance of being flexible. So on that flexibility note, how do you deal with the balancing act? Because right now, even during the live interview, you're constantly being treated by your kids and you know, you have to you have to manage, right? It's a balancing act. And life itself is the balancing act. And you your, your all-encompassing identities is also the balancing act itself. So with that in mind, how do you balance between the art of saying no and saying yes to the right opportunities? Because like you've alluded to so beautifully so, that celebrating the little wins matter. But it's more important to have the intention in place to which small wins you want to pursue the first place. 
And that's a proactivity approach, right? You want to be proactive than reactive. So how do you achieve the balancing act between saying no, artfully so, and saying yes to the right opportunities? Yeah, um, excellent question. I think we as people don't often enough figure out what truly matters to us. And it's only when you've answered that question that you can figure out what, you know, what I was saying before is that you need to reprioritize on the fly, but you can't do that if you don't know your value set. And so I've decided that some of my core beliefs about myself and what I do is that I want to be an amazing father because it used to be I want to be a more amazing father than my father was, but it's now morphed into I want to be the amazing father that my father sacrificed for me to become. So I want to do honor to the fact that he had to work all that time and everything to make sure I don't squander the time I have with my kids and ensure that I give them all of me, uh, quality time, resources, whatever else, to make sure that we build a rich relationship and that as they get older, they have many fond memories of time with me that I don't have with my dad because he just wasn't positioned to do that. And so that's a priority. There's trying to find time to celebrate my marriage with Sarah and, you know, trying to make time for that because it's really easy to become kind of like roommates in a relationship if you are pursuing too many other things. And so I keep that as a priority. And what I find is that, you know, when you have those as guiding things, everything else kind of feeds into your guiding principles. And so when I take on work and I take on writing projects and whatever else, um, it needs to align to my truth as much as possible. So even this weekend, I have one piece I'm writing on diversity. I have another piece I'm writing on children's mental health. I had another piece I just wrote on diabetes, but all of them have, you know, elements that feed into the narrative of myself, my family, my extended family, and the truths that are linked to them. Uh, because if you're not creating and, and doing things from a place of core central beliefs, it won't have an impact on you. It's like not even about what you're putting out to the world and how people receive it. If you do something today and you've completely forgotten it by tomorrow, was there a point to doing it? It's kind of how I see things. I want everything I do to place its mark on my soul because it was important. If I have to do some of the unimportant things in between because of the job or whatever else, so be it. But I want to do enough things that matter to me so I feel like I'm using my time as best as possible. And that's probably the best way to describe how I choose what I do every day. I've never used these two words together, but your story just inspired me to put them together. But radical alignment Right. I think the idea of alignment itself is like something everyone can get behind of like what feels good or feels bad in the time or like everyone knows if a decision is aligned or not with like how they feel, how how that affects their life. But like radical alignment, I've almost never put it on that lens. But as you pointed out, there's like so many competing things. You have to be radical in the things that you're pursuing and like absolutely transparent and assured in those aligned decisions. So I've never thought about it in that way, but I think it was just like a cool uh, analogy that just came up. It's like absolute alignment of if you're not doing them in that manner, then they kind of fade away. Everything you do is to a T aligned with what you want to do. I like it. That sounds completely like me. I mean, the catchphrases I use for my brand have changed over time between um, I'm not a blogger, I just talk a lot, or <laughs> consistently inconsistent, 
or father to two husbands to one second to none. I'm a very catchphrasey kind of guy, but I feel like they help to outline this juxtaposition I have in my life between these competing identities and everything and having to make tough choices daily on just what am I going to prioritize and what are the things that matter to me most. Uh, so Radical Alignment falls right in line with that. So I was wondering, this is kind of a question that we pose to most of our guests and you can take it either as a father, or as a professional, or just a human being, but the mentorship question of if you've had the opportunity to host a mentorship program for whether it's your kids down the line 20 years from now, but people really coming out into the world trying to figure out what they want to create, really, I guess that childhood to adulthood transition, just that period of time, if you were given the opportunity to have a microphone and provide some pieces of advice for them as they start making that transition, whether you want to wear the dad hat, the writer hat, what would you advise them about life? Open question, but floor is yours. It's a really good question. Uh, I find it an interesting question because my attitude about things uh, and the way I do them is like, no one wants to hear from me (laughs) (laughs) because I am of the school of hard work and, you know, proving to the world that something is a viable idea or a good idea, even when the majority of people say it's not. If I believe something is going to be useful uh, and just requires 10 years of work, I'll put in the 10 years of work and then I'll show you that this thing was, you know, meant to be. Uh, but I find it's wildly unpopular, at least, you know, in fatherhood is the wildly unpopular part is being so in touch with your emotions and, you know, really giving weight to the thoughts and ideas that your children want to share with you and uh, trying to work it out as a co-relationship with them instead of just being prescriptive and, you know, being the disciplinarian. As a content creator, it's more around, you know, working on all these long form stories instead of working on my Instagram reels or TikTok. Or, you know, even at work, I I tend to take the more uh, radical approach of, you know, if someone books a two hour meeting, I'll give them a five minute solution and be like, can I have my other hour five (laughs) minutes back because I don't want to sit here and talk about it all this time when we could just do the work. And so I'm very honest. I'm very open. I always try to instill value into everything, but it's done in such a way that it doesn't culturally align with what people expect. I think if I were to talk to, you know, anyone aged 18 to 25 trying to figure their things out, I would tell them to go against the grain and figure out what actually is the thing they want to accomplish. What is it that makes you an individual different from everyone else around you? Find that out and you'll be better positioned to take on the rest of your life and what the world throws at you because you'll have such a better sense of self than many people ever do. And with that knowledge, you can make decisions that are better aligned to whoever it is you want to become because you'll know what your foundation is that you're starting from. We often get caught up in trying to be part of larger groups and trying to follow certain things or comparing ourselves or things like that. Uh, but we need to spend more time being with ourselves and understanding who we are so that we are giving ourselves the right toolkit to navigate everything else the world has to offer. So in whatever walk of life you're in and whatever you're focusing on, It all comes back together to understanding who you are because you're going to be stuck with that person every waking moment of your life. So you may as well get to know them as well as humanly possible. Yeah. And I think that those powerful advices from your mentorship program that you hope to instill in whatever participants that you have ties beautifully into the three questions that Jeff Huffman shared. Right. 
is ask yourself the reflective three questions of A, what do you want to hear at your funeral through your eulogy? And what do you want them to say about you at the eulogy? And the third thing is what can you do to get there? Um, mm-hmm. So personal curiosity, because I wanted to ask you to follow up with that questions earlier, but what are your responses that you've received or what are the answers that revealed uh, when you ask yourself those three questions? Yeah, I have thought a bit about my answer to those questions. So if I were to have a eulogy done of me today, I feel like my family would say, you know, I was a loving father and husband, but I work too much. And I feel like most people would, you know, say they probably enjoyed a lot of the stuff I put out for, you know, people laugh at um, different blog posts and Facebook posts and videos and things like that. But at the same time, perhaps I have prioritized content in the past over a number of my relationships because I just put so much more time into that than hanging out with certain people and things like that. Uh, what I'd like to become, where I'd like to go is eventually get to a point of more balance where I've developed this part of my life as a content creator so much that it kind of does a lot more of the heavy lifting for me. And I have more time to just kind of, you know, be there in the moment and not be replying to things all the time or trying to take care of things because I've run a lot of this as a one man show. And it's at a point now where I'm like, I'm pretty done being a lone wolf. I'm ready to like start offloading pieces of it to others and figuring that out because, yeah, you don't want to uh, you don't want to be running on your lonely and try to do everything all the time as one person because it gets exhausting. And what am I doing to get towards that? Uh, a lot of the work I'm doing right now towards uh, shoring up old blog posts and really trying to build up the structure of what I do and how I do it is with the idea of eventually building out a team and starting to uh, have elements of it that others are shepherding instead of just myself because it gets busy and you don't want to be putting all your time towards it. You want time to relax. You want time to uh, build relationship and fellowship with others. So it's becoming more and more important to me, the older I get to be able to uh, delegate and do more with my time and just, you know, constantly work on my ideas. As fun as that is, it's not the only thing I need to be doing with my time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work at the end of the day, right? Yep. Yeah, I hear you. Easier said than done, for sure. I definitely hear you on that. Yeah, and I think um, it goes back to like what you shared with us offline and through this show is like the importance of finding your voice, right? And I think the reason why that's so important because as creatives, as a content creator yourself, and as so many younger generations and Generation Z nowadays who aspire to be this social media influencers, who aspire to be this quote unquote glamorous content creators, but how can your digital voice on this digital platform to be unique and authentic when you don't even have your own voice in real life, right? It's like the idea of uh, designer's DNA. There's a lot of issues and biases in the AI and deep learning communities not because AIs or these algorithms are inherently evil, is because the designers' DNAs, aka the coders, harbor a lot of implicit and explicit biases. And those biases get translated into these programs. Likewise, if you can't and if you don't have a voice that's unique to you in this reality that you reside within, your digital voice is also gonna be very skewed. I mean, that's very inherent and very obvious, but I don't think people see it that way. And it's Mm -hmm. awesome to see a fellow creative like yourself who is a lot more accomplished in terms of the blogging realm than we are since we are more of an audio platform 
but seeing you and seeing your journey of how you're able to cultivate your voice because you talked about you finally found your voice within the last few years and you're in your late 30s and you've gone through more seasons of life as we have as two people who are in the late 20s so it's very encouraging and hopeful for me to hear that the journey to discover your voice is a lifelong process and there's no reason for us to be I guess, feel hastened by that because I think the society put success on a pedestal and we're like, oh, by the age of 30, you have to have a house, you have to get X, Y, and Z done, you have to do all these things. But that's a box. Once again, it is a box, right? And we have to find your voice and create and curate your life according to that voice that you find. So I think Mm -hmm. that's an extremely encouraging message and I think it's super powerful and I think it rings rings true in this 2021 more so than ever. So I think with that, I think it's an awesome point for us to conclude the episode with the question that we pose to all of our guests. In aligned, since radical alignment is a big topic of this episode, in aligned with our ethos, what's something, there is a something we like to challenge you to discover more about, whether it's professional life, in your fatherhood, personal life, and feel free to share it with the audiences and for layer two, for it to challenge our listeners to discover more something about in their respective lives after listening to this empowering episode with you. All right, good questions. You asked earlier about balance and how I balance the separate segments of my life. And what I often find is that um, at any given time, one is going to be trying to pull you more than the others. And what I often find is that because of the energy that goes towards raising children and because of the energy that goes towards being a creative, my day-to-day job, while I'm able to give it the energy to get the work done, my career ambitions are always kind of just kind of like waffling, if you will. Whereas like, where do I want to be in five, 10 years? When people ask me those questions, I'm like, I don't, I don't, uh, (laughs) so I think what I need to discover more is how I can make the most of my time and my nine to five, really, to figure out, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish on that side of things and where I can take all these skills, perspectives and abilities from other parts of my life and inject it into there so that it becomes an experience more uniquely my own instead of just trying to fulfill a role. So that's something I definitely need to discover more uh, about my world in order to make sure that I'm making the most of every hour of my day and not just, you know, specific segments of hours. And what I discover uh, the audience to do more of is to find your truth, not in your typical entire, like, you know, you know, meditate, read books, figure things out, that style, more experiment with different things that you don't normally do to figure out what resonates with you most, whether that's doing more writing, whether it's learning how to take good photos, whether it's putting paint on a canvas, do more stuff that is outside of your comfort zone and will help you figure out what your truth is. I've only figured out so much of my truth by doing many, many things I don't want to do. And by being able to check them off a list and rule them out, I've started to narrow down towards this is what I like to do and why I like doing it. And I find that the more you step outside your comfort zone and you find out the things you don't like doing or you discover things you never would have known you like doing because you never gave it a chance, the more you'll be able to figure out what it is that will truly drive you and get you where you eventually want to wind up in your life. But that is where my Discover More answers would go. Amazing pieces of advice, man. I resonate with both of them deeply, and you've definitely given me a lot of insights and things to kind of meditate on following this conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time through this rainy Sunday, as we've mentioned, but 
We would love to give you the floor, the red carpet to promote any of the things that you're doing. Let listeners know how they can connect with you or things that they should look out for in the next months and years. Awesome. Thank you. You can find all my content is linked to my site, caseypalmer.com. If you're looking for uh, really deep thoughts based on pictures, go to my Instagram at Casey Palmer. <laughs> if you're looking for uh, more dad jokes and little quippy things, it's Twitter's a place for that. Uh, but I'm spending most of my time right now between writing and showing up my old blog post and Clubhouse. So if you're not on Clubhouse and you have an iOS device, get on Clubhouse because that's where all the magic is happening. And I, it's, it's been really interesting just introducing two-way conversation back into life over the pandemic. Uh, I feel like it's almost social media 2.0 for a long time. We're just kind of like one-way communication. Here's some comments. And you felt like you were engaged in the community. Clubhouse takes into an entirely different level. And I've, I've been able to build strong relationships with people like Benoit because of that. And I think that if you are feeling cooped up and isolated, it may be something to explore. So CaseyPalmer.com, everything else is linked to that and uh, with more coming in every day because I never stop working because that's something we didn't delve into, but there's, there's probably things I could learn from not working as hard. We'll figure that one out on a later part of my life. Uh, and yeah, I hope to see you guys there. Yeah. Um, also, this is not a sponsored uh, podcast by Clubhouse, but we do like to pay homage. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to pay homage to Clubhouse because uh, we were able to connect with two guests already, including you, and more to come. And it definitely is a all-encompassing and very, very effective and powerful platform for people who feel called to share, to converse, to contribute, and exchange whatever ideas they do have. And like I said, you're a uh, poet with words. We really appreciate the time you gave. And I know you're juggling with your three jobs, as you've called it, and, and, and seeing seeing your kids coming in and it really shows how demanding your life is. And it also talks about and highlights the generosity that you have. We're able to carve us in into your schedule on this busy, rainy Sunday while you're trying to literally juggernaut all your kids and your creative projects and all that. And I took away a lot from these conversations and I'm sure the listeners have as well. And with that, to all the listeners, you can always find our, all of our information, the resources, and we will link Casey's info in the show notes as always. And to the listeners, thank you for discovering more with us this week and hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.